Welcome to The Look Back, the newest podcast hosted by former journalist turned media executive and host Keith Newman. The Look Back provides insights, tips, and maybe a few laughs during a free-flowing conversation on that roller coaster ride that reflects the past, present, and future of the Silicon Valley and tech economy. Hey. But um but um Richard. I haven't man. seen you in, I have to catch up with you, man. It's been forever. It's been forever. You look really tan. Where'd you or is it just dark in your room? I have my makeup people working on this full. Oh, yeah. um, that's it. No, I, I just got back from Hawaii. I, uh, I, I, I froze. I, I beat the COVID. Oh. It says, I'm, it says I'm unstable. We know that. Well, we know we're unstable. <laughs> <laughs> um, this podcast knows me. Uh, yeah. We don't know you, but I, in, in thinking about this conversation, I, I really came to the conclusion you were probably one of the first digital marketers that I got to know. Fair enough. Like back in the day, <laughs> we were all, you know, print media and traditional marketing, whatever that really means. Um, yeah. And then there was this thing called the internet and that whole 1.0 movement where yeah. Seth Godin, uh, to, to, to use a name, started to popularize what that meant in the worlds of AOL and Yahoo, where I was pretty active in those ecosystems. But then when I came back to the computer industry and the consumerization of technology and who was leading that charge, you were, you became one of those first people that I connected with. And then we created a relationship and um, you wrote a column and, and we did a whole bunch of cool stuff. But um, that was a fantastic area. And I want to just kind of get your view on how all that started to, to come about. And, and I'm not going to let you get away with some discussions around Africa. And I know you got a new company you want to mention also, or I hope you will. And yeah. so let's get into all those three, uh, three chapters of our play. Yeah, well, you know, um, you know, just to really kind of crank into ancient history, um, I had started a business, sold it to a Fortune 500 company, got recruited by another Fortune 500 company, Polaroid. And Polaroid was in the uh, floppy disk business back then. Um, and, you know, because magnetic media is film is magnetic media and floppy disks were magnetic media. And so just like Sony and other film companies were in, you know, disks, they were in disks and they hired me to be the VP of worldwide sales for their disk business. And so I was calling back then software publishers, you know, the, there was no internet. So it was a, it was a physical product that you sold. You, you went to a software duplicator you got your, your, your product duplicated onto media, and then you put that media in a box and sold it. And, um, you know, and this was back in the day where a guy could like design some software, um, duplicate it on some discs, stick the disc in a baggie, staple it, and stick it on the, on the shelf of the bite shop, and, and it would sell uh, because the customers were all, you know, uh, uh, you know, aficionados and first adopters and would buy anything. And so I was calling on software publishers that didn't have a clue about sales or marketing. Right, right. And, and so, you know, and I was fed up with working for a, you know, straight-laced East Coast company. So I quit and I started a consulting firm called Relaunch. And, um, and you know, I was calling on software publishers and my, my 
my offer was I'll do your sales and marketing for you because my, my customers were all primarily engineers. And um, so, you know, way back in the day, it was sort of like, you know, and, and then I discovered that I went from having one really crummy boss to having about 15 really crummy bosses. Um, and I remember having an argument with one of my clients, which was he, you know, he said, you're not working very hard. And I said, I'm working my ass off trying to sell your product. And he said, well, let me give you the engineering definition of work, which is mass times distance. And I see that you're doing a lot of effort, but the mass isn't moving. So there's no dif distance. Therefore, there's no work. So I told him to fuck off. And I decided that I would quit, that this was horrible. And I would just write a book and I would explain to everybody what I did and what went into selling uh, technology products. And I did. So I wrote this book, 300 page book called the official software channel sales guidebook. And I included a database uh, That's right. All, I, I actually remember this, Richard. Yeah. Yeah. I included a database of all the buyers. And back then there were, you know, I don't know, 15 to 18 different regional distributors who were selling to 300 different regional and some national uh, chains, tech, you know, who were selling PCs and software. And, uh, and there was Egghead and CompUSA and Fry's and places like that. But there was a whole lot of, of small places that you could sell into as well. And so I went around to trade shows and sold that book for $300. And I sold it to everybody from Apple to Microsoft to Zydeco. I mean, A to Z. And, um, and that sort of got me out of being schmuck consultant to author of. And then I got a lot of speaking engagements at CES and Comdex and stuff like that. But to, to, there's a long way around to getting into the digital marketing thing was because I included a database in the back, um, you know, buyers changed and, and, and chains changed. So all of a sudden, you know, uh, the buyer for software at uh, Price Club was now the buyer for chicken parts and the tractor tire buyer was now the buyer for software. And so I, I started putting the, that database onto a disc and then selling it to my, my customers. They would buy an update from me. So, you know, I started doing, you know, in essence, digital marketing. Um, you know, email had finally started to take traction. And so I would email them, say, hey, there's an update to the, to the you know, buyer's database and they'd buy it for 95 bucks or something like that. And I'd sell it to them. And, um, and then I had, uh, I had an interesting conversation. I used to not tell the name of the company, but now I don't care. It was Acer and Acer called me into this. Well, you already mentioned price club, which is going to send people running to Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, I know. What the hell is that? Right. You know, um, and, and also, you know, egghead, what, what was that? So, um, so Acer, but they're still around. So Acer called me. And they were, they were not very big at the time, but they were making a big push into the U.S. market. And they brought me in to their conference room in San Jose, and they sat down. They were really excited, and they said, you know, we think we're going to have this breakthrough because we've included a modem in our computer. And it's going to sell like hotcakes. And I was like you guys realize that like modems are like a $49 commodity right now. 
and they're like, no, 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 modems are are two hundred dollars and they're really expensive, and and you know, and I was like, you guys haven't been out of the office very often, have you? And, and they were like, no, and that was one of the things that that was um, the one of the benefits I had about living in California, working for Polaroid because my bosses were in Cambridge, so I didn't have to go to the office, and so I could go to retail stores and go watch shoppers and watch them buy stuff and ask them questions like, well, why did you pick that one over that one? And listen to these questions about what, you know, I remember going into, into another store one time and they were carrying a computer brand, which is also gonna cause people to scratch their heads. It was um, Packard Bell, if you remember that. And oh, Packard of course. Bell was a brand name from the like 1940s they made uh, uh, 16 millimeter movie projectors, right? And, and they went out of business and somebody bought the brand name and started making computers under this Packard Bell brand name. And so I, I remember going into a retail store and they had Packard Bell and IBM and Compaq and some other brands on it. And I asked the salesman, I said, well, which one of these do you recommend? And he said, Packard Bell, because they've been in the computer industry longer than anybody. <laughs> so anyway, so I, the Acer guys, they, they threw me out of the office because they thought I was a lunatic when I told them that modems were a commodity and you could buy them for 49 bucks at Fry's, which was like literally less than a half a mile away from the office that we were talking in. And um, so then I started publishing this thing called the store check report, which is I sent people out to stores to go see how much stuff sold for because the prices were changing weekly. And, um, and that's when you and I hooked up because I started putting the software report data on the back of computer retail week, right? Because, you know, because executives- Oh, it's great stuff. Yeah. Again, because executives didn't go and do the work. No, and, it, and yes, eventually they had their sales reps doing you know, store visits and stuff, but even that was few and far between. It was typically the salesperson talked to the buyer at the headquarters location and nobody looked at the stores. No, no, it, it, you know, and, it, and basically when the sales rep went and talked to the buyer, it, you were negotiating end caps and rebates and marketing dollars. You weren't talking about, you know, nobody cared whether you threw something in or not. It just, you know, it was, yeah. it was a different discussion. And and really going in and like standing there and saying, which one of these do you recommend? Packard Bell, because it's been in the computer. I love it. No, it's a great yeah. example. Yeah. You know? Now, now tra transition to the digital side, just to right. kind of so move. Then yeah. I, I remember in 1995, I wrote this article, which was on the back of Computer Retail Week. I said, the internet's going to change everything. Yeah. Right. And if I was really smart, I would have taken all the money. I would have mortgaged my house. I would have bought stocks. <laughs> you know? But I did, you know, I kept working stupidly um but that's when you know we all started to convert to really um really use i mean email you know mobile phones had been a luxury up until that point yeah now they were starting to be a commodity you didn't have to pay 50 cents a minute um it wasn't 50 cents a text message so you know all of a sudden digital communications were starting to become much more mainstream and um, the internet but the internet changes everything granted Digital marketing flips on its head 180 degrees, no question. But the well, challenge I, I, is still- I remember, being, I remember being on a panel with, um, with Kathy Colder from Fry's 
And the guy that ran this Midwest chain, uh, which I can't remember the name of it, but it was a Midwest chain of... Electac. Uh, I don't remember. I, okay. I remember it could have been. But they were pretty big, kind of dominant in the Midwest. And, um, and we, they were talking about, like, will software publishers start to sell online? Will they start to distribute their products online? And the guy in the Midwest was any software publisher that I carry that starts selling online, I will kick them out of my retail stores. <laughs> and, and Kathy was sitting next to me and she said, I don't really care because there's some, retail is also therapy. You know, people just get up and they want to go shopping. So there's right. always going to be brick and mortar. And then, and I just said like, listen, the genie's out of the bottle. If, if you can distribute this stuff more effectively with no cost of goods. And then we're talking, you know, you had a dial up modem at 33.6, you know, it took forever to download a small piece of software. But I also had a client at the time who was a lunatic in 1991. And he said, people are gonna be downloading movies on the internet. And we were like, yeah. Yeah, and he, he, this was 91. He was like, and there was a blockbuster on every corner. And he was like, blockbuster is going to die. People are going to be downloading movies. He didn't, he didn't talk about streaming them, but he talked about like, you just, you're not going to buy them. You're going to rent them. You're just going to go download, buy, you know, boom. And this was long before Netflix or any of that stuff. Anyway, so we started to build websites and then websites evolved from being just like this one page brochure that said, I'm alive, here's my stuff, to all of a sudden people would interact with you and you could start to market your products that way and start to have conversations with customers. And then we discovered that people would give you their email address. And we discovered this huge thing that was, wow, you could, you know, and I remember getting like, you know, at one point I had, you know, 3 million email addresses that I was marketing to you know, because, you know, and, and it, it's funny. And I, I, one of my, I hired a programmer because I wanted to know like what was happening and there were no tools at that time. Right. So, you know, I, I hired a programmer so that I could put little pixels in my email so that I could see if someone clicked on something. And then I had that hooked up to a server where I could hook up Excel and go check Excel and download the results of like what people were clicking on because there were no tools at that time. So yeah, I was, you know, all of a sudden, it, you know, it, it took a little while, but it definitely changed everything. There's no, there's really no retail uh, for software brick and mortar that's, you know, of value these days. Right, there's not much. But I was gonna say, Richard, in, in terms of di the, the move to digital marketing, we still have to follow the the age old business exists to solve problems. Right. We, you know, as a business, you have solutions that you de you deliver. So in that respect, it's still marketing to figure out the best way to get from A to B. Right. Well, if you if you remember, you know, one of my stories that I love is is um, in the in my first business that I sold, um, we we called on uh, building engineers. I, it was a uh, my business was uh, energy management computers for high-rise office buildings. So we called on these electrical engineers. So I remember, this was in the 80s, right? So I remember yeah. calling on this engineer in Massachusetts 
And he was on the phone with this guy and he was like screaming at the guy like, no, I'm not going to. And he hangs up the phone. He goes like, this guy wants me to fax documents to him. I'm not going to buy a fax machine. It's crazy. I've got a teletype. And that, you know, and I was like, and then I remember I called at him a year later and he was on the phone with the guy going, what do you mean you don't have a fax machine? Just, you know, and it was like, you know, um, you know, so the evolution from like, you know, FedEx where you could get it overnight, a fax machine where you could get a document over there in, in a couple of minutes. And then, and then the internet, like nobody, nobody has a fax machine, you know, it, you know, it's like, I still, you know, like, you know, we're, we're doing some, some transactions and the bank calls me up and they go like, can you fax this over? And I go like, I don't have a fax. They go, why don't you have a fax? I go, this is not 1999. <laughs> you know? it's because it's the 21st century, you know, I'm, I'm not living, you know. So anyway, you know, speed of communications changed everything and the internet gave you this immediate communication. And then like everything else, we abused the hell of it and, you know, now everybody has a spam filter and it's very, very difficult to use. Right, and, you know, and nobody opens an up any marketing tool. Um, you so, so Richard, what, what kind of lessons can you reflect on as we, as we made this amazing shift in terms of marketing from analog to digital or traditional to digital and lead gen and that whole business? What, what kind of things can you impart that say, hey, these are some things that, that you really need to look at because the platonic, the tectonic plates are always shifting. Well, the, you know, it's really interesting is texting has been around since forever. Right. But all of a sudden, marketers, you know, have discovered texting, largely because political campaigns discovered texting uh, in Obama, right? And it blew up in 2020 massively. And, I, you know, if you've donated money to anybody, you are getting massively, if you're a registered whatever, you're getting massively, yeah. you know, texting. And so one of the things that I keep telling people is that the people who are doing those, all that mass texting is um, they're killing it. It's, it's going to become so regulated. And in fact, T-Mobile and AT&T just announced that they're doing this whole trust hub thing. And they're like, if you don't register your campaign with them and get verified, they're, they're going to, they're going to start limiting the amount of texting that you can send from a number. Right. Because, okay. You know, and, and, and so I've been talking to a lot of marketers who are like, who have discovered texting as if it's, you know, uh, uh, excuse the expression, but like a 13 year old who just discovered playboy, you know, <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, they're like, this is so great. I'm like, you're killing it. You're absolutely killing it. You're sending, you know, so many messages over and over again. To, and people are just going to, the, the cool thing though, is that, you know, with your operating system, you can just now block numbers. It's just really easy to block numbers. Um, and, you know, so there, you know, that's one of the things I see is that it's one of those things where, you know, there's this constant herd mentality of rushing to the great new thing. And everybody discovered the great new thing was this 20 year old texting technology and now they're going to over abuse it and kill it. And that's a shame because texting is, is a great tool for reaching people with a yeah. snap. And, and you, and you would say, look, we have examples of this in the, you know, the, the regular mail and then email and all these other things. And, and you know, we just continue to see the decline of yeah. these channels as, as a useful, efficient way to communicate. Right. And now, you all know, right. 
you all know, right, I want to move obviously is, is, is video, which is still, you know, it's not really the next wave, but um, I really see video massively uh, taken off um, where, you know, and interactive two-way things and stuff like that. Well, but, and I want to get to that with some of the stuff we're going to talk about, but I want to, I want to really double click on your sojourn um, yeah. because I think that's so interesting. So many of us are on the, you know, the hamster wheel and the run and the journey, and we love what we're doing and we're, we're so committed to it. Right. And listen, I've had a fantastic career. You've had a great career, a lot of milestones and accomplishments and a few little slip ups here and there, but you decided, okay, wait, I'm going to call a timeout. And you made a really major uh, shift in your life. Two um, major so, two major yeah, shifts. two major shifts. So, so give me a little bit of so, context, yeah. but I don't want I don't want to spend you know the rest of the right. interview on this. Yeah. But I think it's important to just well, you know click it in. Yeah. So you know the dot com crash was uh, was painful. Um, in that I had built an organization with I had thirty seven employees. And I'd hired a lot of them out of school. And because of the dot-com boom, I was paying them a lot of money because, you know, I was tired of losing them. Yeah. And, um, you know, I had benefits and all that kind of stuff. And I, and I loved them. I trained them. They were good people. And then I was advising my clients. I, I saw the writing on the wall. Like, there's going to be a crash coming. It's the bubbles bursting. You know, you should cut back. But I didn't take my own advice. I, I, I was emotionally invested in my staff and I, I, did, I, I didn't cut back. And I, in one week, in, in one week, um, every single one of my major clients canceled from Monday through Friday. You know, it's like, hey, I'm sorry, we've run out of money. Click. I'm sorry, we've run out of money. Click. I'm sorry, we've run out of money. Click. And all of a sudden, I have no money coming in and I've got 37 employees that I'm, I feel responsible for. And so I didn't fire him, um, which I should have. And I didn't, I, I sort of did this downward death spiral um, where I laid them off slowly and, and I bled all the money that I had. And fortunately I survived. Um, you know, I, I didn't go bankrupt. I sort of held on by the, uh, you know, my fingernails and toenails. And then I had a client walk in that had a really great product and things had turned around and, and we went, I took him from zero to $50 million in about 28 months. And, uh, you know, I had a commission based contract. So made a lot of money kind of got out of it. Um, he decided he wanted to buy the agency and I was like, great, thank God, take it. And so I sold relaunch. And for me, I, the, the, the death spiral had really taken the joy out of it for me. And I was, I, I, I was ready to go. So when I sold it, I didn't make enough money to retire. And I had spent everything, you know, in those two years, but I had enough money to take a year off. So I took a year off. And when I went back to work, I went back to work in the nonprofit industry. And I became CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters in the San Francisco Bay Area, um, which was a very meaningful job for me, uh, given that I'm a little brother. And uh, so it was, it was really like a lifetime meaningful thing. So I worked in the nonprofit and then I got married to a woman that said, you know, I come with a continent <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, she's a, she's a, an amazing physician and, um, AIDS researcher and HIV doc and, and, you know, I guess 
one year after we're married, you know, two, two years after we're married, she got the opportunity to go be the country director for the CDC in Tanzania. So off we moved to Africa and we were four and a half years in Tanzania, three years in Botswana, and then we came back to California. So eight years in, in Africa, which is an experience I would never, ever, A, have thought I would have done, and B, I would never give up. What a life-changing experience. Richard, uh, and, and, I, and you know we connected a couple times with emails and I followed your photos. You're also a great photographer. Yeah. Um, I loved those shots and, it, and, and through those shots, I kind of visually transported myself uh, to live a little bit in your shoes. And it was just, uh, it was fun to reimagine life in that way. But that's funny, you go on a, a one year uh, sabbatical and it turns into eight. Yeah. And I mean, what was, what was the, uh, I, I know you share the stories with other people too, but what would you tell me in terms of highlight or, or meaning well, from you know, that? The, the thing, you know, obviously the photography that I share is, is wildlife and landscape photography. Um, people in East Africa, Tanzanians in particular, do not want their picture taken. Um, it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a thing like the, the concept of having a hobby does not exist. So if I'm taking a photo of you, then I must be working and I must be getting paid for that. And if I'm getting paid for that, then fuck you, pay me. <laughs> so it's like, if I'm taking your picture, I'm stealing from you in some way. And they, they, you, you really got to work hard to get trust as, and stuff like that. So I was very polite. I didn't take pictures of people. But the life-changing experience of working in sub-Saharan Africa, I mean, there I was and, and you know, what am I gonna do? I'm not retired and I don't wanna be retired. So I became the COO of a nonprofit that sold um, irrigation equipment to sub-Saharan African farmers. So here I was this high tech guy who learned a lot about African farming and then African entrepreneurship because I brought my entrepreneurship stuff. So I became uh, uh, the entrepreneur in residence at a high-tech incubator in Dar es Salaam, worked with a lot of really young guys. In fact, one of my mentor mentees won the Google, you know, entrepreneur challenge. And I, I coached him on his pitch, you know, so it was really satisfying um, to make an impact like that. I, I did, I gave a, uh, you know, it, not that I like to think small, but I gave a, a seminar on how to get a job to 4,000 Tanzanians who showed up, which was amazing. And I invited all these speakers to come about, you know, what we look for in hiring and how to get a job and how to interview and how to put a resume together and stuff like that. And then I did it again, six months later on how to start a, how to be an entrepreneur because the reality is that, you know, there are no jobs. So, it, I mean, it, I, I did a whole lot of stuff. I, I, was, I became the executive director of the American Chamber of Commerce. I got to meet the treasury secretary. I got to meet Obama. I mean, you know, it was pretty cool. <laughs> no, that's, that's, and I that's, got to go on safari every couple of months, so. No, that's phenomenal. And I think, you know, from that, if, if you were in that position today, you would be, you know, running the Chamber of Commerce or have a major accelerator, you know, fund kind of thing, because things that are happening in Africa today are just mind blowing. Yeah, well, there's, there, there's some really cool tech stuff happening in Africa. I mean, like the, Kenya invented mobile money. And um, they had and, no option, really. <laughs> well, no, because, you know, Tanzania, for example, which was the next, you know, their neighbors, they both speak Swahili. Um, 
adopted uh, M-Pesa, you know, mobile money. And um, because, you know, here's a country, Tanzania is the size of Texas. There's 40 million people in it. So size of France or the size of Texas, 40 million people. And, you know, to go to your home village, there's no, there's no freeway. There's no high speed railway. Um, to go home is you take a, a bus, which can be, you know, 16, 20 hours. And there's no postal service whatsoever. So, you know, a, a lot of young folks, a lot of people have left their village to come to the city to earn money, but they need to send money back to their family back in the village. So how do you send money back in the village? There were like Western Union, but Western Union would take like 40% of the money. You know, and mom back in the village would have to go like on a one or two day journey to the Western Union office because it might mean four hours of walking, two hours of a bus, another four hours of walking and overnights, you know. So when M-Pesa came out that you could transfer money on your phone, it was brilliant because I could send money to mom and she got it right away and it didn't cost you know, the, the fee was nothing. So it was brilliant. Then all of a sudden, you know, entrepreneurs picked that up and they were like, wow, wait a minute, we can transfer money. We can buy goods and services. Yep. You can pay your electric bill. You can, you know, do all this other stuff. So, um, yeah, lots of innovation percolating over there. What made you come back? Um, you know, we wanted actually to stay overseas. Um, first of all, I didn't realize how crazy the U.S. had become in the eight years we were gone. Um, uh, and we, we actually wanted to stay overseas and, um, the U S government would allow her to stay 12 years overseas and we were eight years, but we just couldn't find a suitable position for her. And she was kind of tired of be running these, you know, huge multi million. I mean, her budget in Tanzania was a half a billion dollars, you know, wow. So she was Richard, that's amazing. And I didn't, I didn't know some of those elements, but that's amazing. And by the way, I knew we would go over our half hour, but oh, yeah. I do want to, I do want to <laughs> go over our three hour. I want to catch up with you. You've got some new stuff going on now. Yeah. So, and, and I think it's always important to kind of bookend this stuff. It's like, yeah. here's this great innovation. Here's all the stuff we did way back in the day. But now I've evolved a little bit. I've learned a couple of things. I've lived a little bit. My life has changed and now I've decided to do something new. I'm always kind of fascinated where a person like that lands. So what got you to behind this idea? Or is it just, is this a project or is this you really excited about? Uh, no, the clothes? I'm really excited about it. It's like, look, you know, I'm not ready to retire. And, um, you know, so here we are, we moved back to California. I, you know, I, I was looking around for maybe a business to buy. Uh, you know, one thing about me that I know is I'm an excellent consultant. And I'm a really good entrepreneur and I absolutely suck as an employee. I, I, I do not make it as an employee. So uh, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> looking for a job it just doesn't work. Um, I get fired early. Um, so, um, and I, and I'm tired of consulting. I, you know, it, I just don't like it anymore. Um, so I was looking to do my own thing and then, you know, I was talking to people about, you know, they were doing 
you know, they were getting leads, they were doing lead generation, but they, they weren't getting a lot of traction out of it. And then the genesis of my new business, which is called Closem, um, is sort of like the life cycle of my whole career of, of being in sales first, being a, a you know a, a salesman first and foremost, and then a marketer. Um, so here we are back in California. We bought this house, have a home warranty with it, um, and we this is pre-COVID. We uh, we have twenty people co- coming over for um, Thanksgiving dinner. And two days before Thanksgiving, my oven breaks. So I call the home warranty um, and they send a guy out. Guy comes out, young guy, just invested, bought a truck. He's got this, you know, um, all this equipment and he services my oven. And I didn't have anything to do at that time. So I hung out and I talked to him and I got his life story and, and all this stuff. He did a great job. And we talked and, and I said, you know, we're doing this insurance work like, I only pay $75 deductible. Like you can't be making very much money on this. And he's like, no, but it, you know, keeps the phone ringing and you know, all that other stuff. And what I really want to do is this other thing where I make a lot of money. It's like, great. Okay. And so then he leaves and I never hear from him again. And I'm thinking, Oh my God, that what, you know, like what a business idiot. He has my phone number. He has my email address. He knows where I live. He knows I have an air conditioning system and he services air conditioning. He knows and I have how about, how, And how about your happy reference? Your, uh... and yeah. And I, all he had to do was leave and send me a text message saying, give me a shout out on my Facebook page. You know? And so that was where the sort of the genesis of Closem came was like, you know, texting, email, you know, getting referrals. And then people saying, I'm getting these leads, but I don't know how to convert them. So we built this uh, software product. I teamed up with a with an old uh, colleague and client uh, named Laura Betterly, who uh, was a co-founder of a company called PCDJ. Talk about you know evolution of digital. You know Laura's a musician by you know heart, and right. um, she saw the evolution of music going digital, and she and her partner Joe developed. Um, this product called PC DJ, which was the first digital uh, music player that allowed you to scratch and play two MP3 files at once. And PC DJ is still around. It's huge. Um, I hired a DJ in Botswana, and he showed up with PC DJ on his desk on his oh, laptop. You had to laugh at that. That's great. No, I had to take him over and show him my my computer because I had the original artwork, which they still use, because um, I designed the original logo. <laughs> Okay, so, give me the give me, give me the. So anyway, so Laura and I hooked up together, um, and we built uh, Closem. It's a software as a service, and it lets people convert their incoming uh, leads, web forms, click funnels, you know, customer service inquiries, whatever, goes into Closem where there, it's a CRM contact management system uh, where you can send messages that you've or you know personalized messages that you've already written. But the real superpowers of it is that you can both text, which breaks through the email barriers, but also that you can combine text and email into ongoing campaigns. So somebody says, hey, why don't you send me some more information? A typical salesperson sends one message. With Closem, you can, the same effort, you could send a series of messages that say, hey, Keith, here's the information you requested, followed up by a text message to say, hey, look in your inbox, 
for a message I send you. By the way, if I send you a text message following an email, your open rate goes up 116%. So then I follow that up a couple of days later and follow up a couple of days later, followed up a couple of days later. And so our users are experiencing pretty phenomenal sales growth because the last little bit I'll say is, you know, it takes anywhere from six to 16 interactions with a prospect to turn it into a sale. Most salespeople give up after two. And Closem is designed to do the auto, you know, automates all that tedious follow-up so that everybody gets to be a, a superstar salesperson. I love it. Do I get a free copy? Absolutely. Absolutely. How, uh, where are you at with the business? This sounds really exciting. So we launched it, uh, you know. Uh, it sounds like a very, it sounds like a very overcrowded category, but it sounds like a unique spin on it. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, if, 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 if I just said, hey, it's a CRM, well, oh my God, you know, if it's a messaging platform, oh my God. But, yeah. you know, we have, it's designed for the business idiot. It's designed for the guy who left my office. It's, you know. I get it, I get it. sales guy, when I showed up and they said, oh, look, we have a CRM, I would go, oh, crap, because it meant two hours of investment to get 20 minutes worth of benefit. So there's no bells and whistles. There's no KPR charts. There's no, you know, crap. It's just, you know, enter somebody's name and and then click a button and it does all the work of following up. It's all I up. love it. Richard, so, congrats. So, yeah. It sounds like a great idea, but only surpassed by your journey. Um, <laughs> what yeah, no, so here I am with another startup uh, that's self-funded. Um, we launched it in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, so we had a lot of folks uh, who were really excited about it when we first launched. And then I, you know, I called them and they said, we just sent everybody home. <laughs> so that was a little bit of a challenge. But at the same time, it was an opportunity because there's a lot of people who, A, were learning new tools like Zoom and B, working remotely and C, got fired and are trying to get a side hustle into their main gig. And close them is like the perfect tool for somebody who's working two jobs and trying to turn their side hustle into their main gig because you can do all that automated follow-up that you don't have time to do to, you know, turn your side hustle into a main gig. I love it. I'm going to, I'm going to play around with it and give you my, my feedback. Yeah. Yep. And, um, and also we're doing some crowdfunding right now because we're trying Great. to raise money so we can really market it. So. Well, send me, send me a link to that too, but offline. Now I've got like the big question for you, which, right. uh, Again, we're a little bit over and I try to keep these uh, uh, cuts about 30 minutes because they, my bosses tell me they, they lose people. Yeah. Um, and that's just my, uh, my friends who help me produce this. But uh, like you know, this is a friendly thing. So it's all meant to There's be. There's a lot of this that can be edited for sure. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, most of my stuff. But anyway, Richard, with, so you've lived this crazy journey. Really phenomenal. I, I really greatly admire it. And you've seen a lot, done a lot, experienced a lot. You're such a hands-on guy. You're a great person to have a soda with too. Um, what if you were to go be going into the world today after college, after work, you know, and, and following your, your path, what would you do differently? I wouldn't go to college. I'd, I'd learn to be a plumber. Yeah, maybe. And maybe it's something that simple, although I know you too well. You wouldn't be satisfied quite quite as much well, as a plumber, know, I, but I, I really I really do believe that. I think there's been, there's there's so much focus on going to college, and and um, and and then getting an advanced degree, 
And, um, you know, I, I have two kids. One has a PhD and one's a Pilates instructor. You know, both are equally happy. Um, you know, and, and right now. <laughs> Left brain, right brain. You know, I just have to tell you, you know, if, if, if I had an 18 year old right now who didn't have an absolute passion, like I need to be an anthropologist, I need to be, you know, whatever. Um, I, I'd say go, go learn a trade because, I mean, think about it. You're in the Bay Area, right? Pick up the phone, get a plumber. You can't. <laughs> you know, we're out here in rural California and like Facebook and Nextdoor are just full of like, can't I get a decent tradesperson? You know, and, yeah. you know. Um, well, we know the economic, uh, <laughs> it's cyclical. But the thing I think you're saying, which I would just uh, underscore, is follow your passion is what you're really well, saying. Well, always. Above, above and beyond the find the trade, which hopefully you have something there that, that you know, whether it's Pilates or plumbing. Right. Well, you know, there, there's a book. It sounds that, like your next book too, by the way. Well, there was a book back in the 70s. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the author, but it was called The, uh, well, shit, uh, the Laws of Money or something like that. It was like the first law of money was do what you love and the money will follow. And, you know, and if, if you and I are really the same and all of our friends, the people that we've hung out with the longest that we're still friends with 40 years later are people who loved what they were doing. We're going to do it anyway. Yeah. And then the, the, the people who were like in this game for money, I don't talk. I, I don't even know who they are anymore. <laughs> exactly. You know, the people that I hang out with are people that just they're doing this because this is what they do. You know, like for me, it's like. I, I do sales. I mentor people on how to do sales. I mentor people on how to do entrepreneurship. So I built a tool right now on how to do sales. And the other thing I'm doing is I'm, I, I, if I could just get some free time, I'm starting to do some YouTube videos on, on how to, how to do sales these days. Cause people don't know how to do it. Um, you know, Richard, and, I love, I love that idea. I love you going to YouTube also. I think that's going to be very, um, very beneficial for the business and, and for yourself too. Yeah. You'll build a nice community around and again, that. It's like, I'm going to do that just because I have to. Right. You, know? you found out why I'm doing this. Exactly. I, I just felt, exactly. I, just felt I, I enjoy it. I enjoyed catching up with you, my friend. Right. This has been too, and, and as long too as, long. As long as you're fully vaccinated, come up. We built a, we, we built a resort here. We have a pool and trees and it's, you know, it's nice. So come you, visit. You built your mini Sahara. <laughs> we did. I, I got everything, including the pineapple drinks with umbrellas in them. I love it. Well, thanks for that offer. I hope I can right, take man. you up on it. Great too. talking to you, Keith. I love it. Keep talking. All right. Thanks. Good luck with everything. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to The Look Back. We do appreciate your support. Welcome any feedback and would love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and even consider sharing it with some of your friends. For more information and other cool info, check us out at newmanmediastudios.com.